Elrod, welcome back. Welcome back to us. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been like two, well, no, since we've been in person, it's been like three weeks. Yeah. Well, uh, our last one was J-Mart, uh, post, right the day after uh, the, the second debate. Correct. We were all, we, J-Mart and I were both in Miami. He was on yep. his way to the airport. I was in my hotel room, maybe in my pajamas. Maybe. And um, we were an, analyzing the debates. Yeah, yeah. Those debates seemed like they were... Years ago. So long ago. So much has happened. So much has happened since Trump had his uh, 4th of July celebration, which um, thankfully both of us survived. Did we you go? Here. No. Just kidding. No. I, know, I know you didn't go. I know. <laughs> I did not go. But you did have a situation with the great flood of Washington. I did. There was a week. gigantic sinkhole, which I didn't actually, I've never seen before. But th- this, there was a sinkhole that was that was created due to the uh, storm uh, in the main road, the road that I used to get out of my uh, my neighborhood. And it was shut down for 12 hours. They ended up filling it up temporarily that night so I could get out. But they're going to now have to do total reconstruction on the area. So they're shutting the road down for like five or six days. So So are you going to be out of your house? Or how does that happen? uh, I'm going to have to park my car uh, like on the other – basically on the other side of the road – um, possibly down at near Old Angler's Inn. And hike up the hill and to then get home be, every day? Yeah, hike up the hill, or they might have a shuttle running. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, it's We're tough. glad that you didn't get stuck in the sinkhole. I'm glad, too. And there were, that was a crazy storm. I mean, there was there was flooding along uh, Massachusetts Avenue. A lot of the bird scooters got caught oh, up in the floods, yeah. which I was well, that's completely good, fine with. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But listen, we have a very special guest here today, so That's, we should get on with the program. We have our friend and superstar Jennifer Palmieri. Woohoo! So uh, y'all don't mean it. Oh my god, we do mean it, and we've been trying to get you on for a long time, but you're never in Washington D.C. I never come. To Why is that? It's probably do you not like thing. Washington it has, anymore. It has lost its allure. <laughs> That's when, fair. That's when fair. did it have the uh, an allure? Oh, <laughs> uh, when I worked for President Obama, it seemed oh, fine. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I love D.C., but uh, you know, I think maybe I'm in the minority. I, I always have. It just right now is not my place to be. Yeah. I'm re- I'm really upset they didn't have the soccer parade in D.C. I, I am. Well, I mean, if you were the women's soccer team, would you come to Washington D.C. or would you come to New York? Where it would, would your be preference some pretty be? good trolling to do it in D.C. It would be some good tro- Go trolling. Go meet at the Capitol. Yeah, I would have been. Yeah, would like like the Caps uh, celebration last yeah, year. That was, was so fun. That was really fun. That was amazing. DC can turn out. They can like be, you know, good. Um, they can be good sports fans. Good and sports. And DC is a, sport, a great sports city. Yep. Yeah, it is a good sports city. We just haven't had any good sports teams other than the Caps for years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nats. Yeah. 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 All right. Maybe not now, but they used to be. I can never move beyond beyond uh, the Redskins. I can't so move beyond the Redskins. So Jennifer Palmieri, I mean, I don't know. We could spend hours talking about your resume, but uh, your bio is super impressive. Former White House communications director. She was the lead strategist on Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. Which, by the way, her title on that campaign was communications director, <laughs> but she was way more than the communications director. No, I know. Director, she, was, she was basically she was like everything. everything on the campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked at the DNC when Terry McAuliffe was chair. She worked at the Center for American Progress. And she is now a best-selling author. <laughs> New York Times best-selling yes. author. I mean, uh, Dear Madam President yep. came yep. out. 
Yeah, it came out. Gangbusters. Yeah, it did. I was, yeah, I was really nervous about it. And it, yeah, it was the number one New York Times bestseller. I think the idea that you, anyone can write more than 10 pages is <laughs> amazing to me. I, can, I mean, it, how, how do you do, how do you actually go about writing a book like that? I yeah. Mean, how much planning and what, what's the preparation? How do you, how do you commit to doing it? I'm doing one now, too, right. uh, that's due in September. Um, so, you know, I got like eight more weeks ago um and it uh you know it's a kind of like it's like after after hillary lost it's all, all of a sudden anything seems possible and nothing seems crazy so i was like sure i'll write a book because donald trump is president so apparently <laughs> anything is possible you know i'm serious it was like why not and i my process was to do um I did an outline about um, lessons that I thought I had learned that I wanted to share with people. But then when I um, actually got a book deal and met with my editor, um, by the way, I got turned down a lot in the beginning. Um, uh, she said, I was like, okay, so what do I do now? Do I give you a better outline, like more fleshed out? She's like, no, just start writing. And I was like, really? That's like, that's what you want to hear, right? Because like you hate all of the... The outline mm-hmm. is like the hard part, and like the restraints. Like, yeah, right. And and she's like, no, that's like that doesn't produce good writing. Just start writing, and you'll be surprised because it'll go in different directions. And uh, and she was right. And I wrote that book in ten weeks. I was on oh. a, I was on a really short deadline. Um, and uh, I found you know it, every day you're like, why did I sign up to do this? Like, look at that person walking down the street. Like, do you feel she, like you're back in college? <laughs> yes, yes, but yes. Wait, the yes. person walking down the street was that because you were envious that? You yes, didn't I'm, have like, this I'm like, I'm like, look at that. I'm like, look at that person. They, like, she's just gonna go home and like have dinner and like you know watch Rachel Maddow. And like, I have to like, why did I sign up to do this? And so I'm now I'm that stage again of like, why did I sign up to do this? Yeah. Um, but it's really, I do like, I was surprised because I thought, you know, I've worked with both of you guys before. Like, I thought, like, I need colleagues. I need a job. I yeah. need some place to go every day. And I was surprised that I was really happy just, like, sitting in my house with my laptop. And it was the first chance I had to really process and think deeply about all of these experiences and found it. I really love doing it. Well, we were so happy from the campaign that Jen was the one who wrote the book, you know, and it wasn't exactly like a tell-all book. That was not, I think, what you were yeah, going for, right, no. certainly. <laughs> and I, um, but it was important to us that somebody sort of frame, you know, and, and try to make sense out of everything that happened in 2016 and, of course, be, you know, before then. And, you know, nobody better to do that than Jen. It was I, incredible. I f- think so, Rod. I felt like it was, um, my in terms of how I wanted it to be for the staff, it was like, um, it was like Anthony Michael Hall writing the letter <laughs> in The Breakfast Club. Like, you don't actually care what we think. You don't really have any kind of faith in us. But let me tell you what it was really like. And that was like what I wanted for the Clinton campaign. It's like for my Clinton campaign family to be like, this is what it was like. This is mm-hmm. what we really lived through. And, you know, what you all saw on the outside about like, oh, there's something about her I just don't like or there's something about her I just don't trust or she didn't handle the emails. <laughs> right. It's like none of that was on the level. And let me tell you, like what it you know what I think was really underneath all of that and the um, unease that people still have with women and ambition particularly when it comes to politics even as much progress as women have made we've got some top tier women running yeah. for president uh, right now um, Elizabeth Warren's doing exceptionally well Kamala Harris is now doing very well you've got Amy Klobuchar mm-hmm. 
Um, you've got Tulsi Gabbard and Gillibrand. and Kirsten mm-hmm. Gillibrand, mm-hmm. um, Marion Williamson, Mary Williamson, <laughs> who I have to say that night of the debate, I heard from many friends who were like, Hey, <laughs> who is this Marion Williamson? Like, um, you know, Marion for president, sign me up. I had yeah. a... Well, and I have a lot of friends who have been reading her self-help books for years. Yeah. I mean, I, they're huge I, fans. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that she hasn't taken off more because, you know, she wasn't, she doesn't have the experience for the job, but she was pretty, she proved herself to be pretty knowledgeable about what the problems were, at least in that debate. And I'd certainly rather have her in the White House than the Yahoo that we've got down the street from where we're currently (laughs) sitting. I think we'd all, we'd rather have anyone pretty much in the White House. Pretty much. But, um, so what's your, what's your, first of all, we'd love your take on the overall race, how you think it's going, but also, um, you know, if you're, if you're, you work deep, very close with the media, uh, you're Mm -hmm. one of the top media communication strategists in the party. Um, and you know, I'm just, you know, there has been a, there has been debate on the coverage of, of, of women running for president versus the males running. Um, yeah. I'm just, do you, what are your thoughts on that? So I did, um, I'm, I feel a lot better about it now that we are into the seventh month of the campaign, oh I God. guess. Yeah, seventh month, by the way. I, I also <laughs> flagging, I was still more than six months away. Um, I, you know, I was concerned in the beginning because um, two things. One, you saw like the day that Elizabeth Warren got into the race. It was like Politico had that story about um, how is she going to be Hillary? How is she going to like? Is she going to be Hillaryfied? And um, how is she going to deal with likability? The good thing was people pounced on that right away, and there was like you know at least now that kind of coverage still happens for women about whether or not they're electable or likable. But it's usually followed by like a lot of criticism and analysis about like we have to how we have to move beyond that that's better than where we were in 16. but the thing that really concerned me in the beginning you know in february and march april was the breakout stars were all white men and you're just like Mm -hmm. wow yeah (laughs) have we not learned anything wow the democrats the you know at at one point it was uh biden Buttigieg, uh beto and bernie that were uh, you know at the top of the polls and vanity fair uh asked me to write a piece about why i thought that was maybe because you all put beto on the cover before (laughs) he was even a candidate Mm -hmm. um but what i've come to believe is that um it's easier for men to break out in a presidential campaign early because they are even if they're fresh faces they're in a familiar role that we sort of recognize right and the the very um you know messed up perverse thing is I think um, it's easier for white men to be um, inspiring and seen as selfless uh, white male candidates than it is for women or candidates of color because, um, you know, when uh, Vice President Biden came out with that video about Charlottesville that I thought was terrific mm-hmm. when he first announced, um, everybody was like, oh, that's so inspiring. You know, like he's taking on this fight and he has nothing to gain from it, you know, because he's going to fight racism and he's a, you know, he's a very privileged white man and that's really inspiring, right? Well, women can't do that right Uh, and people of color can't do that because they are doing you know when you see a woman candidate running for president she's trying to do something that's never been done before it's really hard for us to divorce the sense that she personally has something to benefit by becoming the first woman president and you know uh, because a white man has the most privilege 
um, of any demographic, it, perversely, it's easier for them to be seen as selfless and women are seen as trying to advance themselves, even though I think all the women in the race are actually trying, obviously, trying to, you know, just help America. Um, but I do, you know, I when I wrote this piece, I said I think that it just takes longer for us to become familiar and comfortable and supportive of the women candidates, and that is what you have seen happen now. And I, I think women need the benchmarks like the debates, right? You know, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, the two stars from the first debate, I'm sure they had in their minds, this is my moment and I got to hit my marks and I am going with a strategy and I'm going to execute it perfectly and I am going to do it. And that's, you know, what you can expect of women candidates. And I think um, they both really rose to the occasion then and you've seen them both um, have a benefit in the polls because of it. But I, I do think um, we break later uh, for women. Um, but maybe the support's more durable because it's not like, oh, I just fell in love with, you know, a couple of the guys. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And by, by the way, Jen, on that note, there was something, I think this was in your book as opposed to an op-ed, but there was a line that I'm not going to get exactly right, but you basically wrote that people like women to serve. Like, they like yes. the term serve. Can you kind of elaborate a little? Because I thought yeah. I found that to be very fascinating. It's like they want to know that, you know, Nancy Pelosi is serving her country or Nancy Pelosi is serving her constituents. Hillary Clinton is serving, you know, yeah. the country. It was, it was, um, this was during the Clinton campaign um, and we were having a hard time with people becoming comfortable with her ambition. And so... We got advice. Which, but just, I mean, whatever. I know. <laughs> it was, I know, I know, I know. And so we got advice from our pollsters and our, you know, focus group folks who said that people can't relate to her at all. And so you need to present whatever she wants to do as wanting to be in service to others because that's a role that we're comfortable seeing women in. So, um, you know, and whatever. Sure. I mean, Hillary wants to be president to be in service to others. Right. But you had to go out here. You had to present it that way because that would take some of the threatening um, angle um, out of it. Because so. I just I think, you know, I didn't believe any of this stuff or was even aware of it really until I ran uh, until I worked uh, on Hillary's campaign. Um because I just thought women were doing fine in the world, and I thought we'd have first one president, and it'd all be good. And I thought it'd be Hillary, and like good for her. But yeah. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Right. And then you get into it, and you realize like, oh, this stuff is deep. Women have only had the right to vote for a hundred years, right? And that suffrage, that right to vote, was kind of the that was the uh, tool that the women had to experience a man's world, right? Kind of like allowed them a platform from which to engage beyond politics in the professional world. So like, it's only been 100 years. In 100 years, we've made a lot of progress when you consider you're pushing against all of human history. But what I didn't appreciate was how important the models that we hold in our head are for what we find inspiring and what we find sort of off-putting or threatening even. You know, when Beto Work did that um, NFL answer about the, you know, why we should respect the NFL athletes that kneeled, super inspiring, super moving. And I was like, oh, that really reminds me of someone. It reminds me of somebody. And people were like, RFK. And I'm like, no, it's somebody else. And then I saw Mr. Smith goes to Washington with my, you know, 85-year-old parents. <laughs> and 
I was like, oh my God, there he is. That's who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Jimmy Stewart. Like, <laughs> that's how that movie's probably, that movie is close to 100 years old. It's probably right. 90, 85 years old, yeah. older than my parents. <laughs> and that, you know, so you're like, oh yeah, this, this stuff is deep. It is, it's really, it's way harder to overcome than I expected it to be. Yeah. So do you think Jen, progress has been made on that front since 2016 in terms of people's perceptions? I mean, how do you... Yeah, I do, don't you? I think so. I mean, I think so. I, I, you know, I felt like that was the case, and then I feel like there are are instances that make me feel like we haven't really learned Like a when lot. people say they don't think a woman can beat Donald Trump. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or when people, you know, in some of the articles that have been written early on, you know, like, what is it about, you know, I think there was one from Politico that was just kind of, you know, this was like in I February. I love the trash that was, Politico. I know. It's pile on. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we like some people at Politico, but sometimes it's like, guys, take a step back and, and realize what you're writing. But there was just sort of this... Um, you know, probably non-intentional, but still sexist writing about, you know, what is it about these women candidates that people, you know, don't like or, you know, yeah. how I think it was sort of like, how does Elizabeth Warren overcome the Hillary problem? It yeah. was something along those right. lines. And, you yeah. know, it's just that people have to be so careful. And then you hope it's sort of like, I mean, I guess the good news is a lot of people did, you know, pile on and push back on Politico and say, guys, you know, let's. Let's yeah. try to learn something from what we what how coverage was in 2016. Yeah, one of the questions I love getting is um, from reporters or anchors is when they're like, "Well, doesn't so and so, whether it's a woman or a person of color, have an advantage in this race <laughs> because they're a woman or because they're a person of color?" And you almost have to. St- what do you, I mean? No. Like, no. I mean, it's it's no different than the real world. Yeah, (laughs) right. Advantage. Yeah, because when you're running as a a a woman candidate, and when you're uh, running as a person of color, you have to walk a tightrope in terms of the expectations. Particularly if you're a black male and you're running, or I mean, a black male or a woman. But if you're a black woman, uh, for that matter, if you're you have you're dealing with. Um, walking a tightrope where if you seem too angry, then you're the angry black male. If you're if you're not angry enough, then you're too passive. You know, if you don't, you know, Ob- if you if you're highlighting an aspect of your life that isn't considered black enough, then you're trying to hide your 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 blackness. Or if you're highlighting a, a aspect that is black then you're being too black and you're playing the race card i mean it's just yeah. like you're mm-hmm. constantly trying to thread a needle and the same goes with women i mean when you're yes. you know if she's being you know is she if she's being too forceful then she's the b word if she is um not being forceful enough then she's weak and she's not a, you know she's not tough enough um you know it's just like the there are thing you know there are these dynamics around you know women and people of color who run that just white males don't have to deal with yeah they don't they don't have to worry about calibrating constantly constant calibration Co- constantly the way that women and I saw like president Obama, president Obama made it look easy but you you know like he had oh a God. very deliberate thought about how he always needed to present himself as president of all of the United yeah. States. And he's the one who had to go out and give the race speech, right? Yes. Because <laughs> he is the only one in that race at the time in 2008 who had to give a race speech. 
Right. You know? Right. I mean, yeah, I don't remember Hillary Clinton or John Edwards' race speeches. No. Yeah. No. Um, but, um, hey, Jen, take us behind the scenes of a uh, – you ran the communications uh, department for uh, Secretary Clinton, um, among other things. You did mm-hmm. everything for that race. But take us behind the scenes of what a communications operation looks like in a top-tier presidential campaign. Well, um, I mean, Elrod was right there with I me. I know Elrod was there. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It was interesting to say the least. It was. It, it's a. It is a complicated. It's complicated. It's a very big operation. You know, yeah. you have a bit, very big research team. Um, plus, you have a press team that's you know dealing engaging with reporters. You have regional. We have regional teams. You have, and this was like part of what Elrod had to manage was this like enormous world of people like the three of us. <laughs> now because we're like on the outside judging everybody <laughs> um, from the sidelines who um, are always like looking for information and going on television. Elrod and I was that, that. sometimes the first call I would make on yes. uh, mornings. Literally. Right. Yeah, I Like bet. she'd be right. the first, a lot of times she was my first like, call. Like, Adrian, what am I supposed to say about <laughs> yes. this? <laughs> you and many other people yeah, as well. well. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, um, so you, 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 you know, and then you're trying to also decide what events Hillary does every day and what, um, what the candidates and how you're going to make news, and then there's the constant um, speaking of calibration about do you the attacks that are coming in, and do you respond to them, or you lift them up if you do that, or if you, um, do you, you know, what do you let, you know, what do you let go, and if you let that's like that's the thing that you're always um, having to um, weigh that I think is like the hardest. Yeah. judgment calls or you know or if you're on the attack when is it you know when is it too much and um then there's a lot of critiquing from the press particularly you know and the that was true when i worked for president obama that was true from uh when i worked for hillary because if you're the big dog either you're actually have the job of being president or you're the front runner that's like all you're gonna get and um you know it's not it, it ain't it ain't easy. That was, I mean, I've been through some hard things in my career, but that campaign was brutal. You yeah. know, I remember a couple thoughts here. I remember toward the beginning of the campaign when we had all moved to Brooklyn because we were working out of um, Secretary Clinton's Midtown office for a while, and then we all moved to Brooklyn. And Jen pulled us all together into a room. <laughs> and I mean, I just like, I laugh now thinking about it because this was, you know, probably the summer of 2015. That was a horrendous summer. Horrendous. This <laughs> is the worst. <laughs> you said there are going to be times where oh, we, <laughs> there are going to be times when we are truly going to believe that. Bernie lose. Sanders or Martin O'Malley are going to beat us. The nominee, yes. And when you said Bernie Sanders, we were like, kind of laughing. But, I mean, who knew, right? Like, we thought yeah. Martin O'Malley at that point was our biggest, you know, our biggest challenge in the primary. Um, and, and you also said, you know, and then we – but we will be the nominee. And then, you know, there are going to be times where we think, you know, we may lose the nomination. I mean, the the actual election, and we might. But, like, I – you know, so you were good, very so cautious the good, the in good, saying The this. good backstory about that was that during – when I worked for President Obama in 2012, during his reelect. Um, I was in the White House and, um, you know, we had a lot of younger staff as part of the press team and they would be freaking out day to day about the state of the race. And I was like, okay, you guys, I think I did this like in the summer. I was like, there are going to be five days between now and the election. Well, first I said, first, the president is going to be reelected. Okay. There are going to be five days between now and the election when you honestly believe that he is not going to win. You really believe that Mitt Romney is going to be president. 
And when that day comes, you got to remember, Palmieri said this day was going to come, but like Obama is still going to win. So for the Clinton campaign, I upped that to 12. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, there are going to be 12 days in the primary where you believe that Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee. Can you remember one of those days? Oh, Oh, God. I mean, I feel like every day felt like that for a while, especially after Uh, Michigan. Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, um, uh, September 11th. 2015, uh, when Hillary um, had her fainting spell at the World Trade Center. Oh, that, that was 16. No. Oh, you're right. You're During right. 16, 16, 16. That was 16. Um, uh, you know, end of July of 2015, when I felt what it felt like for the first batch of the emails to be released from the State Department, everybody was like, why don't you just dump all those emails all at once? It's like, oh, thanks, genius, for the great communications <laughs> advice. Right. We don't control the release of these right. emails. The State right. Department does. Right, and right. Like, we're going to do this once a month. You're like, oh, you know what? I almost forgot about that. You know, we're so focused on, you know, Podesta's emails being hacked and released that I almost forgot about. We had our own, right? Our own. Yeah. Yeah. Heard the State Just Department. coincidentally, once a, once a month, there's going to be a batch of emails so that are there released. Were, there, were, there were a lot of them. I tell you this, uh, Election Day um, uh, was not one of the days that I thought we were going to lose. But I did have a number. I, we all went way over our, our allotment of 12. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there were days. I remember walking to the office one day. This was before we had officially clinched the nomination. And it was when we knew that Russia was doing some weird stuff. Bernie's... Um, to, you know, Bernie was still in the race at this point. Um, Donald Trump was pretty much the nominee or treated by the, as the nominee by the press. And the press was just giving us a hard time every which way that they possibly could. And I remember walking to work feeling like Pac-Man in a Pac-Man game where you've got all the ghosts coming at you and you're just trying to dodge everything. <laughs> you're like, if I can just get through this next round, yeah. like I will... Oh my God, it's so good. Yep. But I literally felt like that because we had it coming from every single that angle. We couldn't get any like. relief yep. wh- whatsoever. Jen, how do you. That one is of the, so good, Elrod. <laughs> Thank <Pac-Man>. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, on a on a on a campaign on a present presidential campaign, you're always you know there there especially in this type of news cycle, which is twenty four seven. There are things that pop up that get reported on as if they're major crises, right? They're right. You know, they're huge events in a campaign, and they end up just sort of going away. Right. Uh, and then there's stuff that are more enduring and have an impact on the outcome of the race. As a, as a, you know, as a top strategist, how, how did you determine what was, you know, real mm-hmm. and what was sort of just fake? I've developed a sixth sense to know, I think, what's real at this point. I mean, I knew, you know, I was not working for Hillary yet when, um, like, when like the email problem became clear in March of 15 and I was like, this is going to be an issue for every single day up to and including election day. Like, it's just like, I just like knew like it's the kind of thing that is just going to hang around her. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I, I think the things that become problems are the ones that don't have an, an end on the horizon, don't have like an end time on the horizon, right? You can't say, 
like I wasn't as worried about Benghazi, for example. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of glad that there was this committee um, that was formed, ridiculously so, because it had already been well looked into what had happened um, in Benghazi, but that this committee was formed in the House and that Hillary was going to have to testify. And I was like, good, great, because you know what she's going to do? Crush that. She will she, dominate. And she, she did. Yeah. As, and let me go back, like as Warren and Kamala Harris did in their debates, right? Because when you give a woman a moment where she's got to deliver, she is going to do it and she's going to do it big because she understands that there aren't a lot of moments where that attention is going to be like zeroed in on her and there's stakes about whether or not she can rise to the occasion. I was still, I'm still surprised that the Republicans were that dumb. To oh my God. Do I mean, because, I, I mean, like it was Anyone a classic. Who knows yeah. Clinton knew that she was going to do this. We got a it bump was, in the polls. She was going to be excellent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a classic case of like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, did yeah. you think she was just going to melt? <laughs> like that she was going right. to melt under the pressure. I Mike Pompeo. <laughs> yeah, I mean she. I mean, they were, and they were so bad in their questions. It yeah. was like, and you know, by the way, the Democrats killed it. They were awesome, right? They were, then the they committee. They were wonderful. They were terrific all the entire time. Very, yes. they took it whole, they took it even, really difficult assignment very seriously, and they were great. But I knew, so like, you're like, okay, there's an end to that, and then we can move on. It's the things that don't have an end point that, you know, or you don't see how you can like take a bad thing. You know, it's, just, it's, it's very, it's trite at this point in politics to be like, you got to take your crisis and turn it into uh, a good moment for you, which I could see a way to do with Benghazi. But, um, you know, so it's like the ones where you cannot either see the end point or the way you might turn it to your right. advantage because it plays into some strength Vulnerables. Or the or, or they or, play in a vulner- it if, plays up a vulnerability that you that have. you're able to flip into yeah. a strength. And you know, Jen was so good on the campaign about um, and probably because you also you know, there were so many things that we didn't have the answer to, but you were so good about always bringing in, you know, a core group of us and just saying, okay, guys, what do we think we should do? Because there wasn't really an answer. There was no No. definitive answer, right? And we sort of had to talk through all the different scenarios. You know, Adrian, what are they saying on TV? Um, You know, Fallon, what are the print reporters saying to you? You know, it was just, we were always trying to get our heads together and figure out what the right answer was because we were going into into so many different situations that were unprecedented that nobody had ever really had to face. Yeah. And there was no right or wrong answer. Yeah. It was like, I mean, you, and and so I I, I am a really big believer in getting, you know, like everybody hates a conference call, but I'm a big believer in like, you got a problem that develops (laughs) ask as many people as possible. Right. Collaborate. What they, what they think the, uh, the best way to do it and also what they're hearing and I find that sometimes the youngest staff people are the ones that might have a more interesting idea or mm-hmm. like a you know or a warning um, that right. you should uh, you should take seriously which is great advice Jen who's who do you think has been the breakout star of this primary Warren Warren I mean I think that um, you know Harris um, uh, like I expected her to be doing as well as she is doing, right? Um, and um, I know her a little bit personally, and I really love her. I love her. I love her. I love. I love her manner. I love her joy. I love her. You know, when she's cross-examining people, I think she's. I love her. I think she's terrific. Um, but uh, Warren has impressed me in that I wasn't sure if. Um, 
you know, maybe 16 might have been a better year from her, for her. Uh, but she came in, people thinking that she was not in on good ground. And she uh, picked her lane about, I'm going to be the policy person. And you know, a lot of people, a lot of the press mocked that early on. And she's really driven that. And she's had like a strong, slow and steady growth, yeah. which I think is something to pay attention to. And one thing that really impressed me about her was I read that New York Times Magazine story about her a few weeks ago. And she said that. Great piece. It was a really mm-hmm. good piece. And she said that she was um, always reading the audience to see, like, are they getting it? Right. Um, and that she cha- if she feels like it's not breaking through, then she thinks, well, what el- how else can I make this argument so people are understanding, which she attributed to being, um, you know, in the teaching profession for such a long time. But it's like she's always like, oh, you're always trying to get better. And that's something that's important, I think, to know about a candidate. Um, and Jen, were you surprised that she was able to raise as much money as she raised by shunning essentially large 19. donors? 19.1 million. No, not really. No. I was, I mean, I think everybody, it's like, here's like, everybody's like, oh, it's so amazing that she's like not going to do big fundraisers. And it's like, there is no candidate, <laughs> no candidate wants to do that. Like, does anybody, is anybody un, like harboring under the illusion that candidates like going to big fundraisers with rich people? Like, no, no one likes it. So, by the way, on that note, every single member of Congress I've worked for, um, including the one most recently when I was their chief of staff, would always find some excuse to not do call time. I mean, of they course. just votes. They got to get my nails done. Votes. Um, let's go eat lunch. Let's have a long lunch. Now, here's the time to have the staff meeting I've been putting off forever. Mm-hmm. No candidate wants to do call time, and no candidate wants to do prep. Right. These right. are like the, yeah. these, Those two things. <laughs> these are the constants. Um, yeah. So, uh, but she, uh, you know, she's, uh, it does not surprise me that the kind of people who might support her would buy into that and that she could be successful raising that kind of money. Yep. And are you surprised that um, people like Cory Booker and Amy Klobuchar are not doing any better? Do you feel like they will have a chance, especially once the, uh, the field winnows, to really... Um, you know, be able to sort of ex- excel a little bit more, get themselves well, on the map I mean, the a little thing bit more. Is, is like, and I don't, I'm not a fan of the field winnowing either. I think that's a problem um, because it's July mm-hmm. and, you know, we're focused on the debates and the debates are sort of the organizing principle now for the uh, campaign. And so you cover the debate and then you cover the things coming out of the debate and all the coverage is focused on how, how that's, how is that going to affect the next debate? But the debates are all leaning to Iowa, right? Right. So, you know, in 16, we paid a lot of close attention to the Republicans' debates. And I remember, you know, Carly Fiorina having a breakout moment Mm -hmm. and Marco Rubio having some breakout moments and Chris Christie and them riding that for a little bit. And then you get to Iowa and it's Cruz and Trump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's so what I worry about, I mean, I know the DNC is in a difficult position, um, but I don't see the comp- I don't see the need to go from 20 to six candidates in September. Like, I just do not buy it. I think it's crazy dangerous to do that because you're not giving some really good candidates a chance. And the irony, I know we don't like to hear this, but um, 
the more candidates you have, the longer it takes for people to get to know them. And I think people still want to get to know them. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's interest. MSNBC had record-setting nights, both nights, right? It's not like people don't want to see these candidates. Yeah, right. right? And, um, you know, I know I hear from people like, well, we don't want the campaign, the primary to go on very long, and we don't want it to be divisive. It's like, okay. We basically, in 2016, (laughs) we basically had a two-person primary, and guess what? It went on really long, and it was divisive. So, like, what you're really saying is you don't like primaries. That's what you're really saying. Right. You're saying like, oh, the the Democrats all looked so divided and on that debate stage and you couldn't see, you know, what the party really stood for. It's like, friends, that's what a nominating process is for. It's how we decide. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we're surprised by this every four years, because it is the manner by which we decide what our message is and who our standard bearer is. And there's going to be a lot of debate about that. So I don't, I think that this notion of trying to winnow the field down, which could lead people like, you know, I don't know, could lead people like Gillibrand and Booker and Klobuchar and Julian Castro, mm-hmm. um, not on the debate stage. Like, also, after we lived through what we lived through, Adrian, right. <laughs> in 16, where I know nobody believes this, but it, uh, the DNC was like trying to, uh, uh, well, you believe it, Doug, because <laughs> you were there, <laughs> objectively administer the primaries without favoring uh, Clinton. I know a lot of Senator Sanders supporters don't buy that. But, um, you know, why would you want to weigh in? And, you know, the, I think the DNC's job is to um, facilitate the primaries, not manage voters' choices. So um, I would have a lot more tolerance for a big field, let it go, let, let people die of natural causes like, you know, Eric Swalwell did. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, you know, I don't know, like Hickenlooper let his staff go. I'm not sure what to read into that. But, right. that you know, it seems like by the time you get to the fall, people might just start dropping naturally and you don't want to be putting your thumb on the scale. Right, right. Well, there was some debate news made in the last couple of days, I guess, that um, it was announced that Houston is going to be the site of the um, debate I, in September. I missed this. Yeah, well, I, missed I think this. it was leaked. Oh. I don't think it was leaked by the DNC, but yeah, so Houston is where the, the third debate will be um, in September. September. When is it? Do they have September a date? September 12th and no. 13th. Mm-hmm. And then CNN announced that uh, Dana Bash, Jake Tapper, and Don Lemon will moderate the uh, both nights of the debates in Detroit, right. which are at the end of July. Um so um just three not five right or uh yeah just three, three. three moderators yeah that's um, a good idea yeah i mean as what they did they broke it up into two hours it was fine i yeah. actually thought that, that the five moderators it sounded like a lot with msnbc but i actually thought it worked out fine it worked out fine and it, and it worked for the way that they set yeah you know set fine. it up yeah they right. did a good job i mean except they for that uh, technical issue right but. but like that's all that was a really i mean we i just know from being parts of debates having to be the moderator is a pretty thankless task so I thought they did well. it really is i think I they also announced that there's going to be um so so that people don't run over their time like we saw quite a bit in both debates yeah. that if they run over, then that will be subtracted from their time later on. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So yeah. CNN sense. did sort of remind me, though, of like, you know, every cycle um, the campaign starts and people are like, the new, the new campaigns are like, we're going to avoid all the mistakes that they made last time. So, mm-hmm. you know, like this time, everything <laughs> is fun, right? The candidates want to show how much fun they're having. And it's just like, oh, my God, everything's so amazing and fun. And like, we're not like Hillary because we're having fun. And then it's like CNN. <laughs> 
plan was like, oh, we're going to avoid every single mistake that MSNBC made. And it's like, no, you're just going to make different mistakes. Because right. as it turns right. out, right. this is a very hard thing to pull off. And I thought MSNBC did well. Yeah, especially yeah, I did too. with that many people. It but is. doesn't it so annoy you? Adrian, like how much fun everybody's having. Yes, it annoys me. <laughs> and like, by, yeah, and and by the way, I don't. I forget which reporter was asked the question a couple of weeks ago. What is your comfort food on the campaign trail of all the candidates? Oh yeah. And I will tell you by the looks of what the candidates answered with, nobody's really having fun. Maybe Kamala Harris because I th- think her answer was French fries as right, her comfort is food. Like the only which was probably answer. the right. only honest one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cory yeah. Booker said vegetables. Well, Cor- well, that was like a bad answer. I actually believe that because that's I, a, that's a tell- terribly that's a He's politically a terrible answer. And he's super thin now. And he looks amazing. He's very thin. And he's keeping the weight off. He that's is amazing. He is. Um, yeah, but it, but yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody said. I mean, I my my comfort food is like a burger and a, a and a beer, right? You know, I right. would I would like to see more answers like on that. So, Jen, I know we have to go, but I have one more question for you, um, pertaining to the general election. Does it worry you at all as a very seasoned strategist that the Trump campaign has such a leg up in terms of, you know, theoretically at least in terms of organizing, fundraising? Um, really focusing on the general, or do you think this, you know, long-spirited primary that we're going into will actually benefit Democrats across the board and will allow us to remain just as competitive? Yeah, long primaries generally help Democrats, right? I mean, the times when... um, And help us in the general. They help us in the general, yes. The times when um, a Democrat has taken back uh, the White House from Republican hands, Mm -hmm. um, which are four times in the last 60 years, Mm -hmm. Kennedy, Carter... Clinton and Obama, it has been long primaries, and it has been, um, and not the front, the person other than the front runner won the primary and then won, and then captured the White House back from the Republicans. And so I think it's true what they say, you dominate the news coverage in that way, you have, you're organized better because your primary went a long time, and so you have organizations and states that you might not otherwise have. Um, so I think that a long primary is better than having somebody out in front that Trump has beaten up on for months and months and months. Right. It's yes. good that he's had that he they're sort of like he's not Biden. sure which they're one. Off, going right. They're going after Warren. So um uh so I, and you know it's still gonna be super hard and I hate that they have so much money and right. you know they're it's organized they have and, so much money. Yeah. But um well, one I'm of still the, pretty hopeful. One of the positive things of the fundraising reports was that, you know, Trump did raise 100, Trump and Republicans raised 105 million, I think. But right. if you combine what the Democrats raised, now right. I know there were 20 people, but we, that the, the, the likely. I gave money to more than one person. Yeah. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but I think that, yes. I think what the, what we're seeing Including is there's a, a ton of enthusiasm out there for sure. all How much the Democrats. Was, do you know what the total was if you add all the Democrats? Uh, it was, I think they're still coming in because. Right. right, because they um, they have until July twenty. If you take Pete Sanders, Warren, uh, yeah, ninety five, Kamala, and Biden, I think, yeah, that, I think it's ninety five million right now. With and we the still have some outstanding. And then there are people who haven't reported yet. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but let's be honest, the people who haven't reported, we're probably yeah. I mean, Hick, Hick and Looper. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, Be- I, has Beto reported? I don't know if Beto. I don't know if Beto's reported. I don't think point. he has. Not not to this point. Jenna Malley Dillon's probably got a good strategy about how to do that. So I would have yeah, faith. She's one of the best, exactly. Speaking of money, what do you think of uh, Tom Steyer's candidacy? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I, love, I can't yeah, believe. Actually, I, actually yeah. know, I actually know Tom Steyer pretty well. Um, I worked with him. He was on the board of the Center for Grand Progress, and he's a super smart, great guy, and mm-hmm. I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't. <laughs> 
Do you um, think Jay Inslee is not making a compelling enough argument on climate change? <laughs> no, I actually think Jay Inslee. I think he is. He's doing a good job. But think, that's why Steyer's running, right? And one of his reasons is he. I don't know. I haven't really I've paid seen, attention. I thought like yeah. it was about impeachment. Is it not? Is it no well, longer it about impeachment? Climate change, getting money out of politics. I think getting money out of politics by the ultimate irony there. Um. So well. So well. I mean, you know, maybe we'll see. He says he's going to spend hundred million dollars on this race. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm interested to see if that moves people to him. I don't think I'm kind of skeptical after my experience in 16. I'm skeptical of paid media in general. Um, it did not matter um, really for us. Um, I, I I know that that's a controversial <laughs> thing to say Especially among here. political consultants, particularly where we're sitting, but. Um, it just what matters is what happens in the earned media space. And yeah. if it's totally divorced, if what what you do in paid is totally divorced from what's happening in earned, I don't think it makes a lot of, it's going to make much of a difference. Jen, what's the name of the book that you're uh, currently writing? Does it have a name? It does have a name. Yeah. Um, and it's called um, She Proclaims Our Declaration of Independence from a Man's World. Nice. And uh, the first lines of it are... It's not a declaration of war. Men are not my enemy. I just don't see any reason to continue to follow their path. <laughs> For me, it's not a path. It's a rut. And every woman I've showed it to has said, yes, Amen. and I can't wait to read more. <laughs> so nice. Well, I can't, read, can't wait to read it. Um, I'm sure it's going to be another bestseller. And uh, yeah, okay. we... Um, would love to have you back yes, throughout this the is super uh, fun. Yeah, throughout this uh, primary season yeah. and then the general. Yeah, um, and uh, it's just been fantastic to have you here. Yeah, it's been this was super fun. I would love to come back, even if that means coming into DC. <laughs> or maybe you guys should do a special edition out in Annapolis. Hey, okay, can we get some crabs out there? We could. We could do that on our. Talk. Where do you get your crabs, by the way, out there? Do you um, eat crabs? Ches- yes, Chesapeake Seafood um, in Edgewater. That's where we live in Edgewater. Right. Um, and then... Mike, do you go to Michael? Is Michael's... I d- you know, people love that. And just for whatever reason, my husband and I had never go there, but gotten there. But we go we go out to Galesville. Okay. Because um, Galesville, you know, I mean, you're in Maryland. Yeah. Um, I love Marylander, um, it, uh Galesville has this great, beautiful, it's like the best location. Um, I think the best water location. Um, it used to be Thursdays. It's now um, Stan and Joe's Riverside. Um, so that's, um, you know, cra- those crabs are fine, um, but it's just the location is really beautiful. Yeah. I love those crabs out in Annapolis. I had some good ones, Fourth of July. Me too. Speak seafood. Really good. Grab yeah. some down at the marina or the uh, wharf and uh, at the uh, wharf? Sea- down DC wharf, the, oh, where they the oh, seafood yeah, market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Jesse yeah. Taylor's. And I, and, I, and I catch them occasionally off our dog. It's pretty awesome. Off, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Doc. Okay, doc. I'm sorry. I doc. Something else. Yeah. No. Um, the great Jennifer Palmieri. Thanks, Don. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's super fun. So for my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell, and this has been the Electables. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>